This is the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with world building warrior Angeline Trevina and planning and productivity powerhouse Holly Line. Every week we bring you discussions on the craft of writing, author life and business, and interviews with some of the industry's most unstoppable authors. A writer's life doesn't have to be solitary. We're here to bust that myth, support you on your journey, and encourage you to be unstoppable. Welcome to episode 84 of the Unstoppable Authors podcast. Today we're talking about foreshadowing and how to plant the seeds of the twists to come in your story. But first, our personal updates. In all honesty, I'm finding these updates harder and harder every week. This is what happens when life is put on hold for 11 months and counting and you just don't do anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, you know, but what can I say? It's been really, really hard, especially the last couple of months. Um, Yeah, Uh, but I am slowly getting ready to release my upcoming novella, The Hidden City. Uh, That should happen in late March. I still have not put an exact date on it because I I don't want (laughs) to. But yeah, this is why I'm so glad to be indie and not have a deadline that I can't just change and set for myself so I can just go at my own pace so yeah how about you yeah I know exactly what you mean (laughs) I'm working my way towards a release that has been pushed back like five times already Um, (laughs) and to be honest I honestly don't feel like I've been very productive in this last week at all I was waiting on Silkwash to come back from my editor, so there was nothing that I could do on that, really. Um, I wrote some more of my next well-burning book, but not really as much as I should have. There has been quite a lot going on behind the scenes, but I haven't, I honestly just haven't really had the mental capacity to do much more. Now, we all know that writing is something of an emotional roller coaster at the best of times but yeah I mean this past year has been something else mm. entirely but you know understandably and I would like to say that I've rested when I haven't been working or like I've indulged in self-care and like looked after myself but it's honestly it's not really true I've just <laughs> wasted time and then spent more time feeling bad about it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, harm, that's where it goes sometimes, I guess. And hopefully I can turn things around next week and maybe the return of Silk Wash to me will be the jump to action that I need. Mm. Um, yeah, I always I always have been like this, that I really struggle to move on to something else when I have like a project dangling somewhere mm. on pause as far as my input is concerned. And that's what's bugging me and like slowing me down at the moment so um well I can't get much much worse so onwards and upwards (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I've I've always been like that um when I was writing short stories right at the beginning of my career I would whenever I submitted something and I was waiting for a yes or no response I could just I couldn't settle I couldn't do anything Mm. just paced around for like weeks sometimes (laughs) (laughs) terrible (laughs) so let's move on to our question of the week and last week I asked you do you write your books in a linear way from beginning to end so thank you everyone for your answers on social media of which we got loads so thank (laughs) you and the vast majority of you are linear writers starting at the beginning of your story and writing through to the end but lj granger says that their brain just doesn't want to play that game so they jump around and david has tried it all different ways which is great because it's a really good thing to try different approaches to things just so that you can find out what works best for you and it's 
good to stay open to changing the usual way that you do things because sometimes different projects require different strategies sometimes you're just in the mood for doing something different so yeah always be open to trying new things yeah I am normally I still am a totally linear writer but Mm. my last book that I wrote during NaNoWriMo last year um I did not write that in a linear way at all and I really regret it and I am putting off going back to revise it because I know it's a complete mess because it's Mm. all over the place because I wrote it in such a crooked you know jumbled up manner and I'm like I I don't want (laughs) to read it and find that I've just got to rewrite the whole thing (laughs) I, I bet it isn't half as bad as you think it is yeah maybe fingers crossed (laughs) (laughs) now then this week we want to know what's your favorite example of foreshadowing now that could be in literature or on screen so Mm. let us know and as ever we want to say a huge thank you to all of our patrons your support means the world to us patrons get early access to episodes exclusive behind the scenes access to our off-air banter as well as the warm fuzzy feeling of supporting the podcast if you'd like to support the show you can do so for just three pounds a month at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors It would also be really great if you could take a moment to share this episode on social media, grab a screenshot, share it directly from your podcast platform, or even take a selfie of yourself listening to it. Just remember to tag us so that we can share it too. It means so much to hear from our listeners and to know that you enjoy the show. Now, our main topic today is all about foreshadowing. So, just in that in that vein here's a foreshadowing for you so watch out we are going to be referencing some movies and tv shows so there will be spoilers ahead (laughs) that's my foreshadowing for today so first up what do we mean by foreshadowing it is a literary device used to build suspense and make the climactic action of the show feel authentic and believable foreshadowing is is basically a promise that you make to your reader and you really you really need to make sure you come good on that promise okay (laughs) um the main point of it is to ensure that when the big reveal comes at at the end right at the climax the reader doesn't feel hoodwinked or misled they have to on some level feel as though they saw it coming but obviously you don't actually want them to (laughs) really see it coming um but they need to feel that it fitted that you've left enough breadcrumbs through the story that yeah that was the inevitable ending that was the perfect ending and you you know that feeling when you get to the end of a movie or the end of a book and you're like yes that that couldn't have ended any other way that that is the perfect ending Mm-hmm. for this book and it is it's like a reward you you do feel like you've been rewarded by the mm-hmm. writing you're like yes I, and you know there's no better feeling than when a ending is just so perfect it makes you I have whooped out loud before <laughs> even at books <laughs> yeah I have I have I have whooped out loud and that is because the the foreshadowing has been really good and i i love that moment where the ending happens and you can trace it back to other points in the story and you can go oh yeah that's why that was there that's why that was there mm-hmm. you know it, it's satisfying and that's what we want to do for our readers we want to satisfy them and give them a satisfying ending hence why foreshadowing is it is a promise you're giving little promises to your to your readers and yeah make good on them at the end and maybe they will whoop (laughs) ending and that's that's you know that's when they go on and hopefully buy more of your books yes (laughs) sorry you're gonna say something I was just gonna say something yeah just we will talk a bit later about pitfalls but I could mm-hmm. not stop thinking while you were talking there about Lost, the TV show, and how that broke all of its promises with the ending. And mm. but yeah, we'll talk more about why. 
might be later. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about best practice, Holly. What mm. are some some really fantastic examples of foreshadowing? How can it be do, done very, very well? Okay, so one of the things that most most of us have heard of, um, a device that is one one way to foreshadow, which is Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this comes from the famous playwright Anton Chekhov, who said, "If in Act One you have a pistol hanging on the wall, then it must fire in the last act." And the principle is that if something appears, it should be relevant later. Now, that's not going to be every single item every single thing um just (laughs) because that would be weird and unwieldy but key things so a couple of examples um so spoilers ahead um you have been warned (laughs) (laughs) um so uh ready player one um both the book and the film although they use this device in slightly different ways um it's the coin so our hero our main character wins a coin um by different means in the two different um versions but he gets this coin and it's it's nothing it's just it's just a a little item a common you know item that you wouldn't think twice about but it actually saves the day at the end mm-hmm. uh, in a really major way um so that's that's a Chekhov's gun um, another example is uh, the forklift in Aliens. So when Ripley is rescued and she's sort of trying to find her place, you know, um, and she's like, well, um, you know, they're like, what can you do? And she's like, well, I can operate that. And she gets in the forklift and moves stuff around and shows off with it. And it's quite a long shot. It's it's like 20 seconds or something, which in film terms is is quite a mm. duration. And it does feel a bit like a bit much. Um, but that is because the forklift is going to be really, really important at the end of the film mm-hmm. when there's that iconic shot of her appearing and saving the day and fighting off the Queen alien um with in, in the forklift um neck thing that she's in. Um, so the key thing really is to be subtle in the moment, but have a big payoff in the end when everything becomes clear. Mm. Yeah. That's so, when you get your whoop moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so like the coin in Ready Player One, it's it, you wouldn't know it was going to be important. It's not hammered home. It's just, here's a coin. Um, but you have to draw enough attention to the thing to make it stand out a little bit from other things so that the reader or the viewer remembers it at the end when it becomes important. The The worst thing you can do is not, not give the item, you know, any attention so that it comes completely out of the blue because that won't work. Yeah, and a really good way to, like, highlight something is to put it at the end of something. So you can put it right at the end of a scene. You can put it right at the end of a chapter because it gives that pause after it, which highlights it. It's like if you have dialogue and you want a particular word or a particular phrase to be remembered and important, you make it the last thing your character says. Mm -hmm. So that is one way that you can highlight a little subtle item that you're going to use again later yeah yeah absolutely um there's one example actually that um that has just occurred to me um is in gremlins um and this wouldn't necessarily work so well in a book but i mean you can do it um when billy comes in at one point there are these like two swords hanging on the wall and he just kind of like straightens one or something Mm, just just for a moment draws attention to it and then like no one mentions it it's not in the dialogue it's just a little action in the direction and then they move on and then of course later the sword gets used to hack gremlins to pieces um so (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so you just want to direct a little bit of attention to something just to kind of make sure the reader or the viewer has noticed it and then move on Mm -hmm. okay 
Um, so like I said a minute ago, not everything is going to be crucial to the climax. Not every chair or car or headache um, that a character has. You just need to highlight the important items or character traits that are aspects of foreshadowing. So you just pause for a moment to give those details about those important items. So one of my favourite examples um, is Shawshank Redemption, which is so masterfully done. So um, our main character, Andy Dufresne, he requests certain things from his friend Red, who can, you know, he's the guy who can get things in prison. Um, and, you know, so there's the the poster and it's just, oh, you want a poster? Okay. And he delivers the poster. And the rock hammer, um, which, you know, Andy explains he wants to use it to create, you know, little like chisel rocks into attractive shapes. And he wants to like make a chess set and stuff. And you see the results of him using it for that purpose. You see that he has made himself a chess, chess set. Um, and so, you you know, it's given that little bit of attention, but not in a major way. And then, of course, it turns out he has used the uh, the little rock hammer to, you know, dig a hole out of his prison cell and he's used the poster to cover the hole. And, you know, they are crucial to the plot. They're, you know, they, they are the plot <laughs> in a way, um, but they seem like very small things at the time. Yeah. Um, another example is uh, signs. So um, you can tell from the name of the film, <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is a set of foreshadowing. Um, and I, I couldn't possibly go into all the detail because it's literally like the whole film is one long string of foreshadowing. Um, but the two big ones are um, the little girl, um, Bo, leaves glasses of water around the house. She doesn't drink them. And it's one of those things like, you know, especially parents are going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My kids do that. Um, yes. so you, <laughs> you don't think that much of it. Um, but it turns out that water is the alien's weakness and all these glasses are all around the house. And so when they start, you know, throwing them over the aliens, um, it gets rid of them. Um, and the other one is the the son, um, Morgan. He has asthma and it's mentioned a couple of times and you see him use his inhaler. And so, you know, you know, he has a health condition, but loads of kids have asthma loads of people have asthma it's not like a you know major thing but then it turns out that when he's having an asthma attack at the end of the film the alien like grabs him and tries to inject like the well not inject but like squirt the poison like gas in his face he can't inhale it because his airway is closed because he's having an asthma attack and that saves his life because this toxin would otherwise kill a person so and there's oh, there's just so 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 much more in that film, and it it may be slightly overdone, but it's the point of the film. Mm. So you know the whole like theme of the film is about these signs. It's about you know um, the universe or God in in the case of this one in a way, um, planning things out for us and you know looking after us and leaving us these breadcrumbs so that we know what to do in the moment. That's the whole theme of the film. So it is like a masterclass in foreshadowing. <laughs> so your homework today is to go and watch Signs. <laughs> and now that you've been talking about Signs, actually, it made me suddenly think also another M. Night Shyamalan. Mm -hmm. um, Sixth Sense. Mm -hmm. um, we, can't, we can't really do an episode about foreshadowing without talking about Sixth Sense, which turns foreshadowing on its head completely mm. and if you haven't seen it yet let's face it if you haven't seen it yet you're probably not gonna you're probably not interested yeah <laughs> but um I think I think I can spoil it um the way that um Sixth Sense has done is so clever because when you get the twist ending there hasn't been 
the foreshadowing hasn't been obvious enough for for you to guess the the ending now some people do i i know i even mm. have a friend who who guessed the ending but <laughs> but for the general um dumb movie watcher like myself i had no clue of what the twist was going to be so when the twist is revealed the foreshadowing has been that subtle that what they do is they then replay it for you. So they show you all those moments of foreshadowing mm-hmm. and you are sat there getting like more and more amazed that you had not noticed it. You are just sitting there going, how did I not notice? How did I not pick up on this? And you actually feel like I there were things that I was like no but he did speak he did speak to them (laughs) they did speak to him no that's not right I remember it happening and it's actually on your second watching of Sixth Sense that you get to see the clever foreshadowing and you're like oh my god how did I not see this first time round and yeah, you know, I, we have to mention that movie. It has to be, like, one of the most genius ways of yeah. foreshadowing ever. It was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, but, and yeah, same, same writer, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I loved M. Night Shyamalan when I was younger and going through my, I want to be a filmmaker phase. Um and I thought he was a genius. And I, I still stand by that his his first few films were extremely clever um, and very good. But of course, he got himself a reputation as, you know, the twist guy. And so everyone was expecting a big twist at the end of every film. And he, I, that's a lot to live up to. Um, yeah. So it is. And I... I, I'm a huge M. Night Shyamalan fa- fan, um, way more than actually most people are, um, as in a lot of the movies that most people hate, I loved. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, he did, it, it dipped in the middle, but he, he's come back again, so. <laughs> mm. so. Yeah, I really liked Unbreakable. I thought that was, that yeah. was really good, and I, that, that was another twist that really hit me and I was like oh man and again you're like oh it's so obvious now I know (laughs) (laughs) and that that's when foreshadowing is the best when that's the thought you have yes at the big reveal at the end you're like oh how did I not realize that (laughs) that's that's the effect you want (laughs) yes absolutely um there's another beautifully done bit of foreshadowing um in the um marvel universe the marvel cinematic universe um and it's the payoff is one of those it's a long game thing it doesn't it it takes like another six films or something to get the payoff um but in quite near the start of age of ultron the uh the Avengers, you know, they're all hanging around having a party and they're all trying to pick up Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, and Captain America manages to just move it like a fraction of a centimetre, um, which shouldn't be possible, right? No one else can touch it. And like, you know, Tony Stark gets his Iron Man glove on and is trying to use the power of it to lift it up and just nothing, nothing happening. Um the, Steve, Captain America, he just makes it twitch ever so slightly. And there is this expression on Thor's face, just this like, like, I can't describe it. And obviously I'm not on camera, so there's there's no point in doing it. But um <laughs> just this little flicker on his face of like almost worry. Like <laughs> you know? uh um and then um big big spoiler, big big spoiler coming up. Um then finally in endgame. Um Thor has got himself another weapon because he lost Mjolnir, it got broken. Um, so he's got a new weapon, but then he, it's a whole time travel thing. He goes back in time, gets an earlier cop, you know, an earlier iteration of Mjolnir and brings it into the present. And so he has two weapons, and Captain America picks Mjolnir up, like grabs it and wields it, and he is worthy. Because the whole thing about this weapon is only a person who's worthy of the weapon can wield it 
and he proves himself and he is worthy and he can wield it and Thor like you know punches the air he's like I knew it Mm -hmm. and it's brilliant and yeah it's like I'm probably not getting the number of films right but it's about six films before the you get that payoff it's it's a long wait (laughs) (laughs) and I just think it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant it's one of my favorite things so Mm. I had to wax lyrical about that a little bit (laughs) (laughs) so there are some really good examples of foreshadowing some of our favorite examples there Um, but there are loads of different ways in which you can do foreshadowing and there's loads of different things in your story that you can use for foreshadowing so Mm -hmm. what are the other ways holly that you can do foreshadowing in your yeah okay so pretty much all of those examples were chekhov's gun type examples but there's more to foreshadowing than that one device so um a really good thing that you can do um is to foreshadow your story's theme so and i know theme is another one of those big sort of debatable things about whether you should really have it in mind from the start you know whether it's possible blah blah blah. we don't want to get into that but um if you do know your story's theme you can leave early hints about it um that then develop into more overt expressions later um and that that's just a good you know it's just one of those extra bonuses it's like the seasoning you know on your you know otherwise excellent story it's just a little extra extra thing (laughs) (laughs) um one of the most important things you you can do um is just in your prose just the word choices and the rhythm and pacing of of your descriptions you know um one of my favorite um opening lines is from a christmas carol and it's it's just beautiful it's the best hook i think of any book i've ever read and it's marley was dead to begin with and you're like well i brilliant i have to know what that's about right (laughs) um (laughs) so you've got you've got humor in there you've you, you know you've got the sort of symmetry of the sentence with the comma in the middle you've got the obviously it's a major hook it's a big open loop that makes you go hey what um I need an explanation for this <laughs> um, and there are just there's so many things you can do like I mean I had in um it actually sounds almost cheesy to me now but in my books um there's the series originally when I wrote it was called Echoes of the Past and in book three, I used that phrase. Uh, a character kind of thought it and said that he was sick of these echoes of the past. And, you know, writing that sentence was really rewarding to me. And I know some of my readers picked up on it and really liked it as well. So, again, it's like that's foreshadowing what the, you know, the theme of the whole series is. Um, so some of the words you choose... And again, this is like seasoning. This should not be overly done. It should just be at specific moments that you want to get the reader to pause and really pay attention. You can just use a little bit of like teasing in your language um, that stands out a little bit more. Um, but yeah, be be careful with it. Don't overdo that or you'll just end up with a a manuscript full of like cliches and stuff so (laughs) be careful yes yeah I think it's it's one of those balance foreshadowing definitely is one is another one of those balance there's so many things that you have to like balance in a manuscript to get just the right amount of it and these these are things that one way you can improve upon and learn where your the right balance is is just through experience and practice Mm. just keep reading and keep writing and keep watching movies you know because there are you know some people think that just reading is like um what writers should be doing but watching movies is also awesome Mm -hmm. and fun so 
<laughs> but just keep consuming stories keep writing stories and the other way that you can sort of like find if you've got the balance right is where with beta readers mm-hmm. beta readers can pick up if you've laid it on too thick or not put it in enough if there's not yeah. enough foreshadowing then they will pick that up as well yeah a deve- developmental editor can also help with that and depending yes. on yeah you know depending on the editor like my copy editor will pick up on things like that as well so mm. yeah um now obviously you want to use your dialogue and description um you can have characters discussing um or discovering what's to come or if things that have happened before so <clears throat> for example like a haunted house or a mystical cave or children keep going missing or you know something like that that again you're you're including that trope because it's a sign of something to come it that is foreshadowing if it's not relevant don't mention it like you you don't need that stuff just just for color you know um (laughs) you want to use those things because they're going to be important later um Mm. so yeah um one example in in dialogue um and this is an example from my friend and co-host of great writer share john crinnan um he's a huge jaws fan and there is this fantastic conversation where two of the characters talk about the fact that scuba tanks are combustible (laughs) Um, and you know quint says oh that's real fine expensive gear you've brought out here mr hooper and the response is of course i don't know what that bastard shark's gonna do with it might eat it i suppose and uh, he kind of does um (laughs) they shove the (laughs) tank into the shark's mouth and that's the end of the sharks And it's and it's shark for tea. <laughs> <laughs> so that is foreshadowing in dialogue encapsulated for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you can also use big bold claims, like for example, the Titanic is unsinkable. Well, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's it's like that thing. Never ever say things couldn't get any worse. <laughs> yeah, or I'll be right back. <laughs> they will. <laughs> oh, of course. The the wonderful screen. Never ever yeah. say that, <laughs> especially if you're inside a horror movie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and actually, Scream is quite another quite good example of some of this stuff. Um. But you can use symbolism uh, to foreshadow things. So, for example, you know, a lone animal might be a foreshadowing of, you know, someone ending up going on a journey on their own or being lost on their own. Um, The weather is a classic one. What do you have at the start of a classic murder mystery? You have a dark and stormy night, right? I mean, the, the weather can be an indicator of, the you know the mood of the story and what's going to happen and it's a classic classic device that mm-hmm. almost every author will use at some point so um don't be afraid of the weather yes. use it um, although probably don't start your book with it was a dark and stormy night no don't do that that's probably a cliche not. but um <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, that kind of it's a cliche for a reason you know because it's been used so much and the reason it's used so much is it's effective so yeah um now then a character's desires should always always be foreshadowing always (laughs) don't include their desires if you're not going to you know either fulfill them or twist them so um elizabeth swan desperate to meet a pirate at the start of pirates of the caribbean not only does she meet pirates, she becomes one. So be careful what she you does. wish for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in Star Wars, right at the start, Luke is desperate to leave Tatooine. He is begging his uncle to let him go off, you know, and go have adventures. Well, 
yeah, he kind of gets that wish, right? Um, <laughs> and then I love this example as well um, from Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Right near the start, Dierval, her sort of servant type thing, says, you know, oh, why can't you turn me into a bear? And in the final battle, guess what she turns him into? A bear. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so another really good way of foreshadowing how your story is going to end is through the use of a prophecy. And I was just thinking a fantastic example of this is in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, mm -hmm. when uh, the children are with the beavers and they tell them the prophecy of, um, is it's basically why the white end them because the prophecy states that um two human girls and two human boys are going to um make the end of her reign over narnia and lo and behold <laughs> they do they they become kings and queens of narnia and that is the end of the white witch's reign so yeah prophecy and this is a really really common one in epic fantasy of course, we we love our prophecies and epic fantasy, don't we? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a very obvious, easy way to foreshadow what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean to say that it's an unsatisfying ending, because of course the satisfaction is how they do it, how it happens, yeah, and uh, the journey they go on to fulfill that prophecy and the the people that they meet along the way who are trying to stop that prophecy from fulfilling and there, there is another good bit of um of foreshadowing right at the end of the line the witch in the wardrobe where um the professor tells lucy that she won't be able to get back to narnia through the wardrobe because it you never get into narnia the same way twice Hmm. so that is foreshadowing for follow-up <laughs> <laughs> stories in in the chronicles of narnia so you say that to lucy it's pretty much guaranteed that she will be going back mm -hmm. but in different ways yep so yeah yeah i always love to throw a narnia reference in <laughs> <laughs> I think the important thing to do with prophecy is to make the reader have a moment of doubt, you know, make it mm. um, like find a way to discredit the prophecy a little bit or just cast doubt over its interpretation or, you know, th there are all sorts of little tricks. Like, you can like do. an unwilling hero. That's that's a, a real trope, isn't it? That somebody yeah. is told they are the subject of a prophecy and they are unwilling to take that part yeah and uh, end up sort of falling into it or actually one of the ones i love the most and <laughs> macbeth is a really good example of that <laughs> this that by somebody trying to avoid a prophecy coming true they accidentally make it come true yeah in their actual actions they take to avoid it coming true mm -hmm. which is a really nice one yeah and look I've, I've taken it all intellectual now <laughs> although you did we're starting off with Anton Chekhov so we've we've come right right round from Anton Chekhov through Jaws to uh Shakespeare brilliant <laughs> perfectly done gotta be something that was some perfect foreshadowing <laughs> right <laughs> from one classic to another mm -hmm. <laughs> via um popular media right so those are all like really good examples of how to do foreshadowing well on the other side of the coin of course there are lots of ways to do foreshadowing badly <laughs> and uh well we've already mentioned thor's hammer so let's now have a sledgehammer so yeah putting being way too obvious and putting far too many very very obvious hints in um 
this isn't you trying to hint to your boyfriend what you want for Christmas, you know, let's dial it back. <laughs> so don't go in with a huge sledgehammer. Don't put in too many references. And again, it's a it's about that balance mm-hmm. that we've already, already talked about, you know, yep. finding that balance. And we gave a warning at the top of the show that if you give your readers a promise, you want to keep those promises you want to make sure you make good on them so failing to deliver on a promise uh red herrings or clues that go nowhere um while they work in some genres particularly like i mean agatha christie style murder mysteries red herrings are great but you've got to do them in a satisfying way don't yes. don't throw things in that you don't deliver on and leave your um leave your character going well why was that even there then yes what was the point of that yeah it should still yeah it should be a clue that goes a little way but not all the way that yeah that's how you do it with herring well (laughs) but this is where i want to talk about lost okay (laughs) so and i'm shaking my finger this is very serious okay (laughs) (laughs) Lost was probably the most disappointing TV show of all time. All right. Because the whole setup, the whole, like the first half of the first season, certainly, was they were throwing in all these weird things. There was a polar bear, there was weird smoke, there was like, you know, it was crazy and the sky was falling. And and I can't even bring myself to say how they ended it. It was so bloody awful it was akin to oh it was all a dream you know like just no just no it was so bad because it did not deliver on the promise we were given all these weird mysteries and then they were not resolved it was just oh they were dead all the time like are you kidding me are you really kidding me i'm sorry this show makes me very angry how many seasons was was lost in the end it was like it was a long or something yeah (laughs) that is a huge investment for somebody to make and for you to not make good on your promise at the end of that investment it is no (laughs) don't do that to people they will not be satisfied they will not be happy (laughs) (laughs) they will waggle their fingers when they're on a podcast that's that's what will happen yeah. yeah and another example of this that um popped into my head is Blair Witch 2 mm. where um they put in so many like potentially good things that they just did nothing with like they had a character who was basically psychic mm. and did nothing with that really <laughs> at all and by the end, I was just sitting there. Well, why did they even make bother making her psychic? There yeah. was like no point to it, and that's that's when foreshadowing is done badly. That's what happens when you don't live up to the little promises that you make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so be careful, be good on your promises, um, and don't be too. Don't make your characters too talky about foreshadowing, like. Um, if they're doing so much introspection about what might happen later and you fail to move the action forward because of it, because your action always needs to be moving forward. So, you know, your character waxing lyrical on what may or may not happen as foreshadowing, don't don't do too much of it. You know, you can do some, but yeah, it, it, as always, it's about getting that that balance right. And foreshadowing, it it's what's important so that you don't end up with a horrible God in the machine moment right at the end where somebody swoops in and saves the day and you sit there and go, hold on, what? Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Or that feeling where you're like, well, that was a bit convenient. <laughs> you know, you... <laughs> We've all seen those, haven't we? We've all read a book or seen a movie where you get to the end and you're like, really? That was just a bit convenient, wasn't it? (laughs) You know, like if you have a character falling out of a window and there's a trampoline just happens to be outside it, 
you have to have foreshadowed why that trampoline is there you know that is a god in the machine moment and yeah, yeah it's really unsatisfying mm-hmm. don't do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i want to take a moment to talk about the anti foreshadow uh, which is the macguffin now um we had a little discussion before <laughs> before recording and Angeline was like I don't even know what that is okay so (laughs) the MacGuffin is uh, a trope uh, which is it's an item usually it can be a a person although that's unusual um, of value that's only purpose is to drive the plot forward the item itself is irrelevant and could be swapped for something else without really changing the plot much so in your sort of classic heist you know or um adventure story it could be a magic goblet it could be a trunk full of gold it could be a you know um masterpiece painting you know it could be anything it doesn't really matter that's not the point the point is like the heist the adventure and um this was popularized by alfred hitchcock um he used it in several of his films 39 steps the lady vanishes north by northwest um and some examples from other pop culture um the briefcase in pulp fiction it comes into almost all of the like little stories that are that make up the film um but what's inside it we we never find out we just don't know we get we get a, a hint you know it gets opened near the end um you know, and Tim Roth's character is like, is that what I think it is? And Samuel L. Jackson's like, uh-huh. And that's it. And it gets closed again and the characters mm-hmm. go their separate ways and we are left not knowing. That's a MacGuffin. Um, bless him, R2-D2 in Star Wars. He's a MacGuffin. Sorry, guys. Diehard Star Wars fans and R2-D2 fans. <laughs> He's a MacGuffin, okay? He delivers the message from Princess Leia and that's all he does okay and i know he in the other films he he has other things to do but he's a MacGuffin. um <laughs> in casablanca the letters of transit to get them out of casablanca that, that's a MacGuffin. the philosopher's stone in harry potter and the philosopher's stone is a MacGuffin. the one ring in lord of the rings is a MacGuffin. um and i mentioned people ryan in saving private ryan he's a MacGuffin. He could be anyone. Doesn't matter. His name could be Pete. It could be an item rather than a person. It doesn't matter. The point is the adventure to go and get him. Okay. So that's a MacGuffin. And it's kind of, it's the opposite of foreshadowing in that it's, um, it's something that's there and that seems like it might be foreshadowing, but isn't. Um, But it's done in such a way that it's not a red herring and it's not, um, not a failed promise because at the end of it you see clearly what it was and it doesn't matter it's it hasn't affected your enjoyment of that story does that make sense mm. yeah yes absolutely I feel like I've learned something good which so, is good yes yeah. okay so yeah the MacGuffin provides motivation it drives the characters towards a goal but it even itself is not that important which is really interesting um, in the examples you've given because they feel like important items. Mm. A lot of them are mentioned in the titles. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Like you say, um, its role is important. What the actual item is, is not it could have equally been the Lord of the Spoon. <laughs> which maybe wouldn't have had such an epic fantasy ring to it oh god that, oh, well. that was totally unintentional <laughs> i didn't i didn't intend that um <laughs> but uh, yeah that's that's really interesting actually mm-hmm. yes thank you so now we both you know mentioned several times that we are both discovery writers Mm. We we do not plan or plot or most of the time really know what we're doing at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
foreshadowing absolutely it seems like a paradise for planners and plotters but it seems like it might be an absolute nightmare for discovery writers but aha not so a eh, holly we <laughs> as discovery writers we use foreshadowing all the time yeah and we, we do a lot of it but how exactly does one do foreshadowing if they do not pre-plan their story how do you do your foreshadowing holly yeah well and I would like to add that many planners don't do it on purpose in the first draft. Like, you know, they they may get to the end and then go, oh, I can add a bit. of it. So, you know, it's not like planners are like mm-hmm. the masters of this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it happens in a variety of ways. Um, I'll sometimes have an idea quite early on of something that I want to foreshadow. Like I quite often I do know the ending and certainly by about a third of the way in, I will know the ending, at which point I will be adding foreshadowing. Um, or I might, I might have like an item or, you know, something that I know is important from the beginning and that I don't quite know how it's going to tie in at the end, but I know it will. And so again, I can put the foreshadowing in as I go um so you know I, I get ideas and they just come to fruition later without having to write write an outline in advance um and other times you know it's you you finish it you finish the first draft and then go back and add things I mean, you know it, it's it's totally doable this is why we have second drafts yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah and very similarly um i often just throw things in there to be fair it's usually my characters just throw something in there and i'm like i well i hope you know what's gonna happen with that because i haven't got a frigging clue um and and thankfully they usually tell me later on (laughs) and i go aha that's why it was important so i even have those aha moments when I'm actually writing my own story. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is great. But uh, yeah, my, my characters are sneaky like that. They do tend to to just throw these things in and I'm like, great, thanks for that. Now I'm going to have to work out what to do with that and why it's important. Yep. Um, and yes, I do a lot of strengthening of my foreshadowing going back um, mm. to in my second draft. That is... My second draft is a big foreshadowing draft, a big run through, just making sure that foreshadowing, the balance is right and that I've mentioned these things enough, but not too much. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, foreshadowing is like cake, see? A a bit of it is really good, but don't have too much. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah. and it's... Um, it's not like there's a formula. It's not like you can say, "Oh, it's twenty percent," no. or it's it's just no, it's the feel no. you get, isn't it's, it? It's, yeah, that's right. It's the feel, and uh, that's why just reading, writing, and just just gaining experience is the best way. And like one book you write, foreshadowing maybe twenty percent. Another one that might be too much. Hmm. You know, it really depends on the individual story as well and yeah foreshadowing sometimes is just a really happy accident for me <laughs> like, <laughs> oh I do off I don't know it may it's probably a subconscious thing I'm not as accidental as I think it is but quite often I get to the ending and I like oh that's a brilliant ending to put in I write it in and then when I go back to my second draft I have actually foreshadowed it and I'm like, how did I even know that? <laughs> but I think it's probably a subconscious thing that maybe somewhere in my head I know the ending, but I don't know that I know the ending. It's probably the <laughs> exact same effect sums that... up my <laughs> yeah. strategy. You're probably experiencing exactly what the reader is experiencing. You know, you, you're writing the things in, and then mm, as you yeah. get towards the end you know what you've already written and you know what the logical conclusion of that foreshadowing is. Mm. And so that's what comes to be. 
Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me sound smarter than it just being a happy accident. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Very, very easy to do, even as a discovery writer. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And hopefully that's helpful. a lot of examples in there and start looking for it you know when you're reading something or watching something consciously look for the foreshadowing and once you see it you'll be like oh there it is that's how it's done so yes yeah Yeah. yes watch some of the examples that we've already mentioned yeah for good and bad foreshadowing (laughs) don't waste your time on lost just saying (laughs) yeah we won't we won't expect you to invest in that like six series (laughs) bless right (laughs) so that pretty much wraps us up for foreshadowing Mm -hmm. um and takes us nicely on to our would you rather for today Mm -hmm. uh, which has nothing to do with foreshadowing actually it's just silliness we like a bit of silliness Yes, we do. So, Holly, would you rather listen to an annoying laugh for a whole day or get tickled for one hour? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I told you it was a silly one. (laughs) Yeah. And quite a tough one as well, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm thinking. Janice from Friends. Yes, that was the example that popped into my head too. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Oh my god. Um. Uh. (laughs) Okay. It's a tough one. It is. I'm gonna take the laugh because I am extremely ticklish, and there does come a point, usually after about ninety seconds, where I will punch people so it's probably best for those around me if if i put up with the annoying laugh yeah Yeah. see i also am definitely going with the annoying laugh um you know i have kids i can block noises out i'm well practiced at that (laughs) (laughs) and uh but yes i see most of my body is not very ticklish i I grew up with big brothers and um, they used to sit on me and tickle me. So I kind of made myself immune to it, but like nobody is allowed anywhere near my feet. (laughs) Like just no. Yeah. And uh, tickling is such a weird thing. I once Googled why it is that we laugh when when we're tickled and scientists don't actually know (laughs) because it is actually a form of torture so why i i can't understand like the evolutionary process that made us laugh when we we're tickled it's yeah. weird but being tickled is is somewhere where you're ticklish is just hellish and there's no way i could put up with an entire hour of it i no. just couldn't and yes I, I have kicked people in the face inadvertently yes yeah i well. kicked my brother in the face and gave him a nosebleed once because <laughs> he was tickled <laughs> <laughs> and i bet he still tickled you again probably yeah <laughs> after that yeah <laughs> see we both have we both have brothers you know yeah we know but yeah i can block out an annoying laugh for a day i'll be fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ah, so um, just a quick reminder of our question of the week. What is your favourite example of foreshadowing? And remember that if you want to hear all of the backstage stuff and get all of the other benefits, you can join us over at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And don't forget to share the podcast online and tag us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for unstoppable authors. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors Podcast. We'll be back next week with more of our tenacity and worldly wisdom. Don't forget to visit our website to get the show notes and heaps of helpful blog articles at unstoppableauthors.com. 
and join our guild of unstoppable authors and you will not only hear from us every week but you will also get a free digital copy of my book 30 days of world building if you enjoyed the episode please remember to subscribe and leave a review